This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be financial or investment advice. Seek a licensed professional for investment advice about crypto or any other investment. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Blazing Crypto Podcast. We are Brandon and Justin, and currently the market is in uh, earn it mode as we continue to test uh, the bottom, the very bottom of these ranges on Bitcoin while uh, altcoins are continued to get slaughtered. Justin, how are you holding up? I'm doing okay, luckily. I, I was sick last week, and I probably still sound a little nasally, so that hit me a little harder than the market. <laughs> <laughs> which is saying something, which is saying something. So while investors and traders all over the world are navigating a lot of uncertainty in the markets right now, we are going to continue diving deeper in learning and growing, sharpening our understanding, our tools. And today our focus is on the case for Ethereum. One of our core four items for investing in crypto is honor the king and queen. And when we say queen, of course, we mean Ethereum. Uh, Ethereum is the second largest crypto in total market cap. And some people even say it has a really good chance of flipping or flipping Bitcoin as the number one uh, total market cap in the next 12 months. So we're going to talk about what all the hype is about. Justin, let's start with a brief overview of Ethereum and specifically, when did it launch and why is that actually important? Uh, you mean spe- specifically, when did the phase two start launching or the actual coin Ethereum? The, the actual coin. Yeah. Um, so Ethereum launched uh, in 2015, um, which I guess you could say is it was a latecomer <laughs> to crypto uh, back then because you have Bitcoin starting around 2010 or so. Uh, and then Ethereum really kind of be- becoming not top dog, but you know, the big number two, um, uh, roughly around like 2017, 2017 during that bull market. But so it's, you know, relatively like, what is that, seven years old? Um, and a, it has built out a lot of just, I guess, robustness in the market. Um, uh, a lot of different layers and applications are being built on top of it. So um, a lot can happen in a lot can happen in seven years. For sure. And, you know, Ethereum obviously had first mover advantage on the smart contract side. And so, yeah, a lot of the, the growth that came into the industry in 2017, as you mentioned, Ethereum definitely benefited from that, uh, as did some other coins. Um, we talked about last episode with Solana that Solana was a smart contract blockchain. Obviously, we just mentioned Ethereum is as well. Just remind us really quickly what a smart contract blockchain means. Yeah, so I'll start with a a very quick technical definition and then talk about a little practicality after that. So essentially, um, smart contracts are, it's it's taking this concept of blockchain, which Bitcoin uses just for sending little bits of information back and forth, and it takes it and it makes it more complex. So now instead of just sending little bits of data, you can actually send and log contracts on the blockchain. So agreements between two completely different parties um, and and the blockchain itself is the third party intermediary um, that's just, you know, keeping track of everything. So, um, yeah, from a technical side, it's just logging decisions, agreements on the blockchain. 
Practically, though, you know, what that allows us to do is it allows technology to come in and essentially automate, um, automate in ways that we've never been able to see automation in the history of the world, um, which is pretty, it's pretty transformative. So, you know, practically speaking, uh, I know we even mentioned this on, on the uh, Solana podcast towards the end there, the, the application of that means uh, decisions that you make when you're buying a home, contracts, those things can be um, accounted for on the blockchain. And it actually streamlines the process, um, takes people unnecessary, I should say unnecessary people, unnecessary people out of the process. Uh, and it allows us to rely on computers to keep track of it for us, essentially. I once worked with a uh, technical developer who made the statement that in software, uh, the more the software needs to replicate a human interaction and a human process, essentially it becomes more complex and more expensive in dramatic fashion, right? And so as humans, we don't think about the complexity of, of contracts and we don't think even about contracts at all, m mostly on a daily standpoint, but we make contracts all the time, right? And so, yeah, it, it's really cool that uh, technology is getting to the place of being able to handle uh, the complexity without sort of a, a central authority, which is really awesome. So I need to ask you, what is gas and why, why do people fuss about it so much? So because gas is expensive, right? The gas is too dang high, uh, I think a lot of people say. So as, essentially, anytime you're in a smart contract and you have to... Uh, think of it like writing the agreement. You, it's almost like a transaction fee, um, which is called a gas fee, where let's say you and I um, were going to, you know, I was going to loan you some of my cryptocurrency so you could take that and whatever, do X, Y, or Z. Well, we, we log that decision in a smart contract, and then we have to pay gas, essentially. Think of it like, uh, you know, the underwriting fee or whatever. Like that gas is... Um, it flexes over time. So the more Ethereum network gets used and like clogged up, basically the higher the gas goes. Um, so right now, or over the last year or so, the Ethereum network has been very clogged up because there's so many people trying to use it for different applications. Uh, and it's caused us to have higher gas fees, right? So for example, uh, for us to take out a smart contract right now, you know, we would pay anywhere from, $50 to even $275, $300 in gas, depending on what we were trying to do. And that's just to basically to lock it in the smart contract. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for keeping our podcast uh, <laughs> on the clean, on the clean rating side with your, your rent being the rent being so high, so to speak. So I pre we all appreciate that. Uh, so related to that, there was actually a pretty big event in the Ethereum world that launched in August 2021 called EIP 1559. So can you explain what that launch did and why that was really so significant? Yeah, so Ethereum is trying to ultimately move from a, a traditional Ethereum as we know it to what's called Ethereum 2.0. Um, and that process of migration happens in stages, and the first stage was this, this 1559. So one of the big things that that um, unlocked for Ethereum was traditionally when 
people are paying these gas fees for these smart contracts, um, that uh, gas fee now with this update that came out is burned forever. So as soon as the smart uh, contract is locked in, you pay the gas, that gas is essentially burnt forever. Like that Ethereum is no more. And essentially what it does is it creates this deflationary aspect of Ethereum um, that ultimately is going to be really valuable uh, for a number of reasons. But that's that was the big first change is it moved from you know, miners getting those gas fees to the gas fees being completely burned and gone. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And as we mentioned in the Solana episode last time, what Solana is really, really good at, efficient at, proficient at, uh, is speed and scalability. You know, with Ethereum, it sort of has the other side of the coin, right? It's robust. It's a little slower. It's a lot more secure, but it's also a lot more expensive uh, to use. Uh, to use kind of a really weird analogy here, um, just because that's the way my brain works. You know, it's almost like uh, there are, are, are uh, you know, back in the day when when mall when a shopping mall was a big deal and they actually existed, you know. It's like you'd see stores pop up in the mall or restaurants pop up in the mall and you're like, how like how can that store afford you know the 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 least the uh, of the cost the upkeep of being in a mall? And it's like, well, simply, that's really where all the people were. That's really the only viable place they could be in one sense, but it, it was sort of too expensive for them to be there to begin with. And that's kind of how things seem on Ethereum. In other words, because it was first. There are things built on Ethereum that probably were never really meant to be built on Ethereum, but Ethereum was sort of the the first and the biggest and the only thing to build on. In other words, there are things that are just too expensive to use on Ethereum, but they exist again because it was because it was first. Yep. All right. So we talked about Ethereum or ETH being in uh, in total market cap number two. Um, kind of a blast from the past, uh, going back to 2017, we've actually seen coins like Ripple, XRP, and Litecoin uh, occupy top five total market cap positions before falling out in some pretty dramatic ways. Actually, Ripple was, for a time, the number two coin in total market cap. Uh, do you think Ethereum has, ETH, has staying power at number two? I, I certainly do. I think that's, um, I guess, most likely. I, I actually, and there's a lot of people that w would see Ethereum being number one, ultimately. Um, having a larger market cap than Bitcoin, simply because of the the way it's used, right? So, like, you know, Bitcoin being the store of value, it's useful in that way. But because of Ethereum you know, introducing smart contracts and being able to be used for all of this automation. Um, I think there's a legit case that, you know, the, the total market cap size could pass Bitcoin ultimately, but wait, you know, whatever number two, number one, number two, the point is Ethereum's not going away. Um, it's robustness is it, it's, it's huge. So it's not like it's just going to fade away. Yeah, absolutely. We're almost uh, approaching that magical 10-year number, right? Where if a, if a technology makes it 10 years, it's a reasonable assumption that it will be around for another another 10 years. 
So, Justin, we've talked about Bitcoin and Ethereum often in the same breath or in the same conversation. Are Bitcoin and Ethereum competitors? No. No, no, no. And for some reason, that's really, I can't stress how, like, how much they aren't competitors. But they're Uh, duking it out. They're duking it out for the number one spot. Yeah. The general, like, public sees them as competitors. They see all cryptocurrency as competitors. Um, You know, as as did I at one point, uh, I think a lot of people start there and that's fine, but the point is they're not, you know, they, they have completely different value propositions. Different people will buy them for completely different, uh, you know, reasons. Um, it's not like Ethereum is QT and, and Bitcoin is BP or something like that. Like these aren't just two gas stations duking it out, uh, for who's going to buy the most gas. So, um, yeah, that would be my short answer. Yeah, well, first of all, you know, we exist so that our, our audience is uh, is not the average the average uh, person in the market. Uh, as we like to say, uh, we're smarter than the average bull. So uh, that's good. Uh, yeah, that, that's oftentimes a mis, uh, misconception. Uh, but like you said, they're two completely different things. And honestly, really the best case for each of them is to be what they are. Um really full stop and not try to sort of eat into uh, what the other one you know is doing because they serve very unique and, and, and robust uh, needs really in the, the financial and technical worlds. All right, well, let's shift to future valuation. Uh, and I think we'll spend a few minutes here, you know, thinking again, larger time frame, three, four, five years that puts us in 2025, 26, 27, which seems like a long way away. What do you think we can expect from Ethereum from a price standpoint? Obviously, that's going to be based on total market cap. What what has handles for you there from a from a value standpoint on Ethereum? Yeah, a lot of that. Um, so a lot of that really is contingent on, I think, how much uh, corporations start adding Ethereum um to balance sheets and actually like buying up the asset similar to how they're doing with bitcoin um just because i think that can unlock a much higher ceiling obviously when you have companies that have hordes of cash um that are wanting to invest that in in the market but i think you know realistically uh ethereum would be looking at 15,000 to $25,000 per coin um you know, in the next four or five years, that's pretty, um, that's like, I would say a realistic target. <clears throat> and, you know, as Ethereum 2.0, um, as that is, you know, coming out, you know, over the next year or two, that's, that can obviously help it scale. Um, so I think how successful that transition or how, like how smooth that goes and then how much of the corporations start buying is really going to kind of it's really going to set the tone for where it lands, but I think fifteen to twenty-five thousand is a pretty uh, conservative target, basically. Yeah, there's that. There's that almost almost famous, maybe soon to be famous chart of Ethereum actually sort of following the um, the trail, the track, the trajectory of of Bitcoin. Uh, so Ethereum in twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two. Uh, following where Bitcoin had been in 2017, 
uh, or I mean, honestly, they're they're moving uh, in in almost identical ways, not just in terms of levels, but even in terms of shape. Um, you know, and I, I think from that one takeaway, like you mentioned, even the fact that we're even talking about corporations, institutions, even looking at Ethereum, I think it just means again, Ethereum has. For all intents and purposes, it's made it. Uh, it it's here to stay, uh, and it, it's viewed in a in a robust, uh, legitimate way. One thing that's pretty fascinating is um, in the summer of 2021, actually July. Uh, so sometimes users are measured on crypto in terms of, of of active wallet addresses, and the number of active wallet users on Ethereum actually surpassed the number of uh, active wallets on Bitcoin. And again, it's just a, it's a testament to just the significant amount of growth, development, uh, action, if you will, that Ethereum uh, is seeing. Yep. Yeah, and that, that whole argument, <clears throat> like even if you look at, um, if you're looking at that transaction volume too, like Ethereum does a lot more volume from from a transaction standpoint than bitcoin consistently and all that all goes back to what i was saying earlier is it's just more useful like it has more use cases right now than bitcoin um so the numbers are going to reflect that right and um that's a, a lot of its usefulness is behind that for sure yeah and, and when we talk about price when we talk about uh, market cap, we're really a lot of times in the zone or the realm of, of valuation. Uh, if you if you want to take one thing away from this to sort of go like research, kind of get smarter, uh, understand kind of a bigger concept that not only will apply to Ethereum, but other other chains like Solana and, and AVAX and other ones that, that we haven't discussed on our on our show, uh, study Metcalf's law. Uh, and the reason I bring that up here is one of the, the, if you will, sort of, I don't know, technical or fundamental, I'm not sure which one it is, explanations for why technology growth is so rapid or even exponential is because of Metcalf's law. So Metcalf's law essentially states that the value of a network really grows exponentially as the number of users or sort of inputs in that network increases. Uh, and so actually, it, it's like a not just a, the value grows as the users grow, but that the value actually grows exponentially because now you have you have connections and multiple connections between each of those uh, users. Uh, and I think the specific quote from the 80s uh, from Robert Metcalf is the value of a telecommunications network is proportional to the square of the number of connected users of the system. Maybe you're smarter than I am at math and can figure that out. But the point is, the point is value grows exponentially the more users are added to the system. So I would say this, you know, in the legal, in the legal world, they always talk about if you, you know, if you want to catch the criminal, follow the money. In other words, the money doesn't lie from a valuation standpoint in crypto, in tech, you follow the users yep. or in this case, active wallets, right? It, they do not lie. And in terms of valuation, that it's really something, if you had to like kind of proxy one thing to understand where this is going, I would say understand that. Justin, what do you, what do you think about that? No, I think that's an excellent point. Um, and 
you know, the funny, I, I don't know, like four years ago, I probably never heard of Metcalf's Law. I don't, I don't remember when I heard of that. Um, and it was from a number of podcasters uh, in the crypto space. But I, yeah, starting to understand, oh, wow, the, the network effect that you're describing you don't see it right like unless you're looking for it and once you like once you see it you can't unsee it <laughs> uh it's it's crazy and in its relation to just technology in general whether you're talking about social media platforms like facebook instagram tiktok you know all of them have that network effect where yeah each individual user in isolation yeah it doesn't feel like they add a lot of value but collectively um, when you get that many people using something, uh, it's it becomes immensely more powerful over time, for sure. You and I had a funny conversation one time um, where we were talking about uh, you, someone. Someone asked me a question like, you know, if Bitcoin's code and shift shift to Bitcoin to make a point here. If Bitcoin's code is open source, why can't someone just replicate Bitcoin? In other words, why would why would why would something be valuable? that simply could be replicated. And, it, you know, to be fair, it stumped me for a time. And you and I talked about it. And, and one of the things we came back to is to shift to sort of the, the Web 2 tech space. You know, the same rule of thumb is true for Facebook. Yep. I mean, literally anyone that wanted to could replicate what Facebook has built from a tech standpoint. The thing you can't replicate is you can't replicate being first. Or in Facebook's case, second. Uh, but the first one, as far as ones that are still around, sorry, MySpace. And you also can't replicate users. Yep. Uh, and the, to me, that that's that isn't the explanation for why Facebook is worth what it's worth. We think of tech in terms of what it can do, uh, but tech is really valuable because of how many people are doing it. And the value they're creating on the network. And so, again, make no mistake. Follow the users. Um, if you want to dig into the data, you know, look for data that talks about active wallet addresses. Um, and again, we talk about the rate of development. The rate of development itself doesn't lead to growth, but usually users are where the development is happening. And so that's kind of why those are sort of, uh, you know, cousin cousin realities, if you if you will. Justin, anything else to add there before we shift to our last uh, talking point? Nope. So it's funny. Uh, there's this song and dance that people do when they talk about Ethereum, right? They caveat, you know, it's not super fast. They caveat how expensive it is. You know, they, they share a tale of uh, of a pound of flesh being extracted for you know all of the transactions they've done and the gas they've paid. Inevitably, they shift to but. When Ethereum 2.0 launches, all of this is going to change, right? So first of all, we've alluded to Ethereum 2.0. Um, in summary form, we could talk for an hour about Ethereum 2.0. What is it? When does it launch? And why should we care? So Ethereum, in order for it to continue growing, it has to scale so that more users can can use it efficiently. We talked earlier about you know the gas fees and how as more users come onto the network, it clogs up the network and it makes the gas just outrageously high. <clears throat> so that presents a problem essentially for Ethereum where they have to make modifications, changes to their blockchain in order to 
compensate for that. Uh, and so that process of moving, you know, towards scaling uh, is called Ethereum 2.0, right? And um, we mentioned earlier the first stage being EP 50, uh, 1559 um, rolling out last summer. Well, there's there's two stages left where Ethereum is going to go through um, major changes to, to reach this point where it can scale a lot more efficiently. So <clears throat> what that essentially looks like is Ethereum going from proof of work, which is basically uh, mining and miners securing the network, to proof of stake, which is moving away from this inefficient uh, mining strategy that is, you know, it uses more electricity, all of that stuff. What's going to happen, though, is Ethereum will go from about 15 transactions per second to 50 to 100,000 transactions per second. Um, so we're not just talking about scaling two or three X. You're talking hundreds, thousands of X. <clears throat> so that's coming out over the next, it's supposedly over the next you know, year and a half, two years. They don't give exact launch dates on this stuff. Um, but the first phase will be actually moving from proof of work to proof of stake. And that should be happening later on this year. And that's going to help it scale pretty dramatically. Um, not as dramatically as I had mentioned uh, in those numbers. But then in the third and final phase, um, the Ethereum network is introducing what's called sharding, which is essentially going to take um, the blockchain and it turns it into, within one blockchain, you essentially have a lot of miniature blockchains um, that can help it process transactions a lot more efficiently. Um, and that third final phase is supposed to come out next year, and that should help it scale up to that 50 to 100,000 uh, transactions a second. But so that's kind of like a big overview of what Ethereum 2.0 is doing and the timeline. Um, but ultimately, you know, this if it can accomplish this jump from Ethereum to Ethereum 2.0, um, it is going to solve a lot of the the use case problems that we're currently running into with just gas ping, you know, too high. Yeah, and I'll say for our listeners, there's a lot of game theory around Ethereum 2.0. Number one, even pretending to exactly understand when it will be. But the game theory uh, we're hearing a lot about is, oh, like everyone is going to unstake their Ethereum that they've been staking, waiting for this, you know, sort of when it happens. Uh, there's also a lot of uh, theory about basically because people have their Ethereum staked, trying to earn higher interest. We talked about decentralized finance in our last episode a little bit. Um, that basically we could be looking at uh, what's called a supply shock, where in other words, take all the Ethereum that 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 exists. You know, if if 90% of it is staked and a bunch of people want to come buy Ethereum, they're fighting over the last 10%. So it, it sort of creates not artificial demand, but some kind of outsized demand because there's not a whole lot left on the shelf. You know, we just went through the snow, you go to the grocery store, there's no bread, there's no milk, it doesn't make sense. But we understand that concept of, of supply shock. I would say, you know, we believe in Ethereum. Uh, it's one of our core positions. Uh, we're not, we don't really get too much into the game theory of when and what and how. The point is, it's a really valuable asset, and we think it's something that you ought to pay attention to. 
So uh, transitioning here, uh, next week, looking ahead, uh, Justin and I were both under the weather. We're going to get back on schedule with uh, sort of our routine of one post, uh, one podcast episode a week. Uh, Early next week, we're actually going to record an episode looking at what are really sort of the viable scenarios, both the the really good ones, the good ones, and the not as good ones uh, for Bitcoin and the crypto uh, market as a whole talk about where our thoughts are, what recommendations you can consider. In one sense, Justin, I would say the scenario we're in is not one that we anticipated being in six months ago, four months ago when we started uh, talking about this podcast. But I will say, I think a time such as this is really why we started in the first place, even though we didn't anticipate it. Uh, we're doing a lot of stuff on Discord. Uh, there's uh, folks on there that we are walking through this scenario together, uh, building a community, also sharing resources, information, uh, advice, answering questions, not financial advice, of course. Uh, and if you want to join us, uh, check it out, blazingcrypto.io slash join. Again, it's $12.99 a month, basically you know, the cost of Disney+, Plus, which you, know, you don't need anyway. Uh, tongue-in-cheek, wink-wink. You know, my kids would kill me for saying that. Uh, But again, we want to provide a lot of value. We want to walk with you and help guide you through a lot of the uncertainty that we're facing. So we hope you'll join us. Give us a shot. Cancel any time. We would love to have you. So with that, uh, I'm Brandon. You're Justin. And we will see you all next time. See you guys. For more information, check out our website at blazingcrypto.io. Additionally, if you have friends that are new to crypto, share our trailhead videos from our website, which is a great way to get introduced to crypto.